0: Well, how many of you have ever gone to a job interview? Or perhaps how many of you have ever been in a courtroom or sat in on an interview for a, a visa? How many of you have maybe ever given a, a public speech? Or maybe how many of you have ever gone on a date? Maybe for those of you who are married, do you remember the first time that you met your spouse's parents or perhaps uh, their friends or siblings? Well, if you've ever been in any one of those situations, if you've ever experienced one of those things, take a second to think and ask yourself, what was one thing you were very careful about in those situations? My guess is you were probably very careful with your words. You knew that the wrong phrase, a word spoken in anger, bringing up an inappropriate topic could ruin your chances for a job or a second date. In those situations, you recognize that words are powerful and that your words matter. At my college, we had an honor code. Uh, I think many colleges have honor codes that say that uh, you might get kicked out if you plagiarize or you you cheat on a test. Uh, But our honor code extended beyond that. Uh, Students could get kicked out uh, for lies that they told that were unrelated to academics. we didn't have to be students there for long. It didn't take too many classmates getting kicked out before we realized our words were powerful and that our words mattered. As you probably know, the the Protestant Reformation started when the German monk, Martin Luther, nailed his 95 Thesis to the door of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany. His words criticizing the Catholic Church created a firestorm in the Western world and changed the course of history. Words are powerful. They have the power to inspire, and they have the power to destroy they have the power to start fights and they have the power to make peace they have the power to lift up and they also have the power to tear down they have the power to express beauty and love or to communicate dark and, and hateful things as Proverbs 1821 says death and life are in the power of the tongue or as James puts it in our sermon text for today Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Well, if you, if you do have your Bibles with, with you, please turn with me to James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. James 3, 1 through 12, that's going to be the sermon text for this afternoon. And, by the way, if you are here and you don't own a Bible, uh, we would like to provide one for you. Um, so please let me know afterwards. If you don't own one, let me know and we, will, we would like to provide one for you if we can. Uh, Well, back to the the sermon, In in our sermon text for today, James makes it clear that your words are powerful and that you should not underestimate your words. Though the tongue is small, the tongue boasts great things. So please follow along as I read, starting in James 3, 1. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is at fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Well, I don't know if you will know all of these words or phrases. I think some of them may be American slang. Uh, So I'll apologize in advance if that's the case. But how many of you have heard one of these phrases before? It was just a little white lie. In other words, a small lie. Uh, This one I think may actually be American slang. I was just keeping it real or, or telling it like it is, which is slang for something like, I was just telling the truth, or actually more accurately, I was just telling what I thought in the harshest way possible. maybe you've heard this, I'm just a straight shooter. I'm just opinionated, or I'm just blunt. Or I was just joking. usually said after someone has just offended someone else or or said something harsh to someone else. Oh, what do those words, what do those phrases have in common? They're all ways of minimizing the importance of our words or the effects that our words can have. They're ways of excusing our words. Sometimes they're ways of pretending that the harsh words you just spoke were misinterpreted. Uh, they're ways of minimizing our words, and these are things that we all try to do in a variety of ways. And maybe it's because we just don't really appreciate the, the power of our words, or really it's because we just don't want to deal with the reality of our sin. But. James will not let you minimize your words or underestimate the power of the tongue And he gives four reasons why you shouldn't underestimate your words and these four reasons are going to make up the outline of the sermon Uh, So first you shouldn't underestimate your words because your words will be judged. Your words will be judged Second your words are powerful. Your words are powerful third your words are hard to control And then fourth, your words are a symptom of a bigger problem. Your words will be judged, your words are powerful, your words are hard to control, and your words are a symptom of a bigger problem. So first, your words will be judged. We should not overlook or underestimate the tongue because your words will be judged. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control a whole body. Well, this may seem like a bit of an odd place for James to start, or at least a very abrupt transition from the section on faith and works that we studied last week. Uh, But I think when you stop to think about it, the transition isn't quite as abrupt or sudden as it it seems. Uh, Words, after all, are a form of works. In uh, James 2.26, the last verse that we looked at last week, uh, James wrote that faith without works is dead. Uh, So if you were to interpret the verses that we are studying this week in in light of that verse, you might say faith without godly speech is dead. Or faith that comes with no change in your pattern of speech, your old ways of speaking, your sinful ways of speaking, is dead. Faith without controlling your tongue is dead. And in fact, this is precisely what James said back in James 1.26 when he wrote, If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless, and he deceives himself. In other words, he is not a doer of the word. And so in our text for this afternoon, James is really kind of just taking James 1.26 and explaining it, applying it, expanding on it. He's asking you to examine your words and he is encouraging you not to underestimate your words because your words are worthy of judgment. But James zeroes in on Christian teachers or pastors in these verses saying that they will be subject to a stricter judgment. Why would James say that? Well, it's because of the power of words. It's because words matter. And it's because words are difficult to control, which we're going to look at here in just a few minutes. This is what James means when he writes for or or because we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. As as one commentator that I I read in preparing the sermon wrote, he said teachers are more susceptible to judgment than others because they regularly engage in that activity which is hardest to keep from sin. One speech, or as Proverbs 10, 19 puts it, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable. But the one who controls his lips is prudent. When there are many words, sin is unavoidable. Now, if that isn't a reminder to measure your words, I don't know what is. If it isn't a reminder to take a few minutes to calm down before you reply to that WhatsApp message, I don't know what is. If it isn't a reminder to pray before you discipline your kids, or if it isn't a reminder to think before you speak, or to learn to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, I don't know what is. But it isn't just because pastors say a lot of words that there is more opportunity for them to sin, and that they are subject to a stricter judgment. It's because, generally, the words that they say carry more weight. People tend to listen people in leadership and who have authority and and that includes elders in a church yes it's it's true like the the Bereans who are commended in Acts you have a responsibility as members of the church to search the scriptures to see if what the people up here delivering God's Word to you if what they say is, is true and if it is in line with God's Word but it is human nature to listen to those in authority and give their words respect and deference and that isn't necessarily a bad thing but it does mean that teachers face a stricter judgment because of the influence their words have on others. You know, Paul says in First Timothy, those who desire to be elders desire a noble task. But James soberly says, be careful what you wish for. And brothers and sisters, it is a, a great privilege to get up here every week and be able to deliver God's word to you. I am really grateful for that opportunity. It is a it is a joy. Um, and I pray that God uses the preaching of His Word to equip you and strengthen you to persevere. Uh, but it is also a great responsibility. And so I want to do my best to accurately teach God's Word to you. I ask that you please pray for me. I pray for Pastor Ben. Pray for others who teach God's Word. Pray that we will not underestimate the influence of our words. Pray that we will be diligent to study and under God, understand God's Word as we deliver it to you. And to be honest, not that we would just accurately deliver God's word to you, but that we would model godly speech in other areas of our life as well. And brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you not to underestimate your own words either. Because though teachers will face a stricter judgment, Jesus warns you in Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37, that on the day of judgment, people will have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, And by your words, you will be condemned. Well, friends, if if you are here and you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, know that when you die, you will be judged for every careless word you speak. Not just the harsh ones, but the careless ones, the idle ones. It's again a reminder that you need the righteousness of Christ. You are not righteous in and of yourself. You cannot work your way to God. And to those of you who are Christians, it's a reminder again to examine your heart because it is out of the heart that the mouth speaks. Now, your words are works, and they give evidence of the genuineness of your faith. Now, it is true there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, when we uh, repent and place our faith in Christ, we are forgiven for our sins past, present, and future. If you are a child of God, your salvation is secure. But there is still a sense we will have to give an account for our words. We will have to give an account of ourselves before God. Your words matter. Well, So first, uh, the reason James says that you cannot underestimate your words is because your words are worthy of judgment. But second, he said your words are powerful. Uh, Look again at at verse 3 of James 3. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So, too, though the tongue is a small part of the body it most great things, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, so James uses just wonderful imagery here and and compares the tongue to a small bit in the mouth of the horses that as a rider pulls on the rein can direct that large, powerful animal wherever the rider wants, compares the tongue to the rudder of the ship that can turn the ship one way or another, I don't know if you've ever seen a picture of a ship's rudder, but in comparison to the ship, it is very small. Uh, Or maybe think of a a steering wheel on a car, flats on a plane. Uh, The point James is making is don't underestimate the tongue. It is small, but it boasts great things. And there is a sense in which your tongue directs the rest of your body. Think about what happens when you make a promise. You commit your whole self to following through on that promise. I promise to get my kids ice cream. I promise to get in the car. I'm promising to drive them to Baskin Robbins. I'm promising to use my money to pay for some ice cream. I'm promising my time, my energy, and my money. I am promising to act. I'm still learning the employment system here in the UAE, but if I understand correctly, many if not most people end up signing some sort of an employment contract. What are you doing by your words? you are committing to work for a certain company for a certain period of time. Those words, at least in some sense, have directed your life. They have set the course for your life. And now you may be thinking, oh wait a second, people don't fulfill their promises all the time. Just because you promise to take your kids to get ice cream doesn't mean you have to. And that is true. People do break their promises. They do not fulfill their words all the time. But even that directs the course of your life, or as James puts it, sets the course of your life on fire. If you lie, or particularly if you lie repeatedly, if you're known as a liar, well, you ruin your reputation in relationships. People no longer trust you. Your words lose their power. You lose your influence. If I repeatedly lie to my kids about ice cream, they're not gonna believe or respect any of the other words I tell them either. I don't. I don't know if this is really a thing here in the U.A.E., but in the the United States, at least, you can often look up reviews of service companies before you hire them. Uh, So, for instance, if you wanted to hire a plumber, you could go online and see reviews from other people who had used that same plumber to see if you wanted to hire them. That that plumber had a bunch of reviews that said he never showed up when he promised he would. Or that he left jobs half-finished and never came back to complete what he said he was going to complete. uh, What would happen? People would stop hiring him. By his words, he has set the course of his life on fire. Your words set the direction of your life. They can build your reputation and mark you as a person of integrity. Or your words can do the opposite. They can destroy your reputation. Now, this is why James writes in James 5.12 to let your yes be yes and your no be no. Uh, the power of your words is such that when you don't keep your word, you destroy your own integrity. And if you claim to be a Christian, you dishonor God himself. If you claim to be a Christian, for instance, and yet you lie repeatedly to your kids, it not only teaches them not to believe what you teach about God, well, it teaches them to likely doubt that God keeps his word Either Your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. And James really zeroes in on this idea that your words are powerful by, by showing just the destructive force that the tongue can be. As, as he puts it, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large force. and the tongue is a fire. Brothers and sisters, your tongue can do great damage Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 1821. A few words, a small blaze, can set a whole forest on fire. A pattern of unloving words from parents to children can greatly affect them for the rest of their lives. Words spoken in anger can destroy friendships. So can gossip when it is made public. Criticism of a boss at work or, or complaints about uh, your company can get you fired. Words have helped start fights and wars and helped keep feuds going. Harsh words between husbands and wives have destroyed marriages. I remember a, a couple of years ago counseling a, a couple whose marriage was in, in serious trouble. It was in very serious trouble. And their communication had broken down so badly. They had so often spoken unkindly and harshly and unloving to one another that they had really even lost the ability to assume the best about one another's communication. Uh, Whenever they spoke to one another, uh, whenever they wrote to one another, their their relationship had basically devolved into just needing to write to one another because they could not speak to one another kindly. They went through those communications trying to find the worst possible interpretation of each other's speech. They took any words the other spoke in the worst way possible. Well, what had happened? So over time, the small fire of their words had grown into a great blaze. And I mean, just think about the last time someone spoke harshly to you, or made fun of you, or harshly criticized you. Now, how long did those words stick with you? I mean, you may be replaying words that you've heard uh, in years ago right now in your mind, just thinking about that. You know, words have a, a terrible power to destroy. And they can destroy marriages, they can destroy friendships, and they can destroy the unity of the church. So be careful with your words in all avenues of life. Includes your WhatsApp messages, what you say on social media, what you write on Facebook, and and WhatsApp has the same power to destroy that that words that you physically say face to face to another person do. In fact, because you're not face-to-face with another person, I think it is much easier for those words to be misinterpreted. To be honest, I think it's much easier for you to speak and write in unloving and ungracious and harsh ways when you are not speaking face-to-face. Brothers and sisters, guard your tongue and guard your keyboard. Your words have great power. And yes, though, your words have great power, and they have great power to destroy. I think it is good to be reminded that words have the power to build up, and words have the power to encourage as well. And Shilpa just read from us, read to us from Proverbs 16, and Proverbs 16:24 says, "Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the taste and health to the body." We can listen to Paul's words from Ephesians 4: No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need, so that it gives grace to those who hear. Your words have the power of death and life. They can give health to the body and build up. And controlling your tongue, trying to tame the tongue, seeking to speak in godly ways, is not just putting off angry words. It's not just putting off gossip. It's not just putting off slander and lies. No, it's putting on kind and encouraging words. Putting on words that encourage. Putting on words that build one another up. Your words are powerful. They have the power of death and life. So. I exhort you to choose words that give life to those who hear. Don't underestimate your words. Well, that's the, the second point. So the first two reasons why James gives for not underestimating, underestimating your words are your words will be judged and your words are powerful. But third, the third reason he gives is that your words are hard to control. And they are hard to control in two ways. There's two ways they are hard to control. Once you say something, you cannot take it back. Words are hard to control because once you say something, you cannot take it back. And two, no man can tame the tongue. So it's difficult to not say those words that you cannot take back in the first place. So first, you cannot take your words back. I mean, Return to that image of the forest fire that James uses, that a small fire can set a large forest ablaze. It's just a small fire that, that starts a forest ablaze. Once started, that small blaze can quickly get out of control. Uh, Every year there are news articles, um, at least in the US where we have forests about somebody accidentally starting a forest fire. They do something dumb and the fire that they have started quickly gets out of control. Well, the same thing happens with our words. Once you say something or type something, those words are out there and you may not be able to control them. They may start a large blaze. The tongue is a fire. In the the age of social media, many people are learning this truth the hard way. Uh, There have been a number of politicians, athletes, movie stars who have had people go dig through their old posts on social media to find something offensive that they have said in the past and to use it to destroy their reputation. And now, inevitably, every single time this happens, those politicians and celebrities, they go back and they remove those old posts in hope that that is somehow going to make the problem go away. But it's always too late that people have taken screenshots of the words that they have said and shared them, and then these words that they have spoken or written many years ago have escaped their control. You know, brothers and sisters, you also, can't re- you also can't control how others respond to your words. One harsh word often leads to another in response, and what started as one harsh word leads to a shouting match, a shouting match to a destroyed friendship, or marriage, or something worse. The tongue is a fire. You also can't control someone's hurt feelings or the bitterness someone feels over something you have said. You can't easily fix the trust that is lost when you lie. The impact of your words are hard to control. I mean, personally, I accidentally ruined a friendship because I failed to invite a close friend to uh, our wedding when Delane and I got married. Uh, so in this case, it was something I didn't say. It's a long story, but it was an accident. I didn't mean to not invite this individual, and I didn't even realize I had not by- invited him for many years until one day he asked me about it. It was, uh, we had lived in separate cities for a long time, and so I hadn't seen him for years, but he asked me about it. Uh, I apologize. I, I tried to explain, but it was clear when, when he asked me this question, and the way he asked the question, that he had been holding on to the bitterness of that oversight for years. Uh, so I apologize, but the damage was done, and our friendship has, has never been the same. The tongue is a fire. Because the tongue is a fire, listen well to these verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 13:3. The one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lip invites his own ruin. Proverbs 15.1 A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Friends, you can't control the results of your words. You can only try to control what you say. But that brings us to the second problem. No man can tame the tongue. It's not just that you can't control the results of your words. It's hard to control your words in the first place. No man can tame the tongue. Look with me again at at verses 2 and in verse 7 and 8. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Down to verse 7. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. By pointing out the taming of animals and controlling of animals, James is pointing all the way back to the creation story where men mankind was given dominion over the animals and was given dominion over the earth to subdue them. Uh, and mankind has done this in many ways. Every kind of animal has been tamed by humankind. We ride horses and camels. You can go see the Bird of Prey show over in Kabul, where all sorts of birds are trained to come eat food for our entertainment. Birds are trained to carry messages. They're trained to hunt. Uh, We could expand beyond the taming of animals. I mean, just think about how mankind has harnessed natural resources. Here in the UAE, they create drinkable water from the sea. Mankind has built great buildings, produced electricity, built cars and airplanes, spaceships, created the internet. Yet no man can tame the tongue. The tongue is so powerful, in fact, that James writes, if you are able to control your tongue... You would be able to control your whole body. You would undoubtedly exercise self-control over your other sins. You'd be perfect. But no man can tame the tongue. You have all spoken words that you wish that you could take back. Or you've all spoken words that you should wish that you could take back. You've all spoken words that you know to be sinful. No man can tame the tongue. Like the horse that all of a sudden decides to throw off its rider the bird of prey that suddenly decides to fly to its freedom and never return, words sometimes just escape our mouths. And this is why we need Jesus Christ, and why he has left his Holy Spirit. No man can tame the tongue, but brothers and sisters, if you are a child of God, you have the power of Christ at work in you. The old man and woman, the one who could not tame the tongue, has has been put off, and behold, the new has come. By His Spirit, God has given you everything that you need for life and godliness. is a, a wonderful promise. And by His help, you can increasingly bring your speech under control. But it starts with admitting that you cannot tame your tongue. That in your own strength, you cannot tame your tongue. It's to admit that you need God's help, that you are a sinner, to repent of your careless words and ask for God's grace to put on kindness and compassion. To speak words of grace and to speak words that build one another up. To be an encourager. Well, the answer is not to despair, but turn to the Lord in confession and faith. And if godly speech has not marked your life previously, it can feel a bit awkward to give someone a word of encouragement instead of just remaining silent or giving a sarcastic remark instead. Well, That struggle is your sinful flesh fighting against the Spirit of God within you. Brothers and sisters, controlling your tongue and taking your tongue, even with the power of God at work in you, is not easy. You have to fight for holiness. If this is an area you struggle with, no man can tame the tongue, so we all struggle with this area in some ways. But if this is an area that you have a particular struggle in, I'd encourage you to study the book of Proverbs and everything it has to say about your speech. There is a lot about speech in the book of Proverbs. It speaks of how to use your speech wisely. Pray that God would give you the wisdom to heed his word. Memorizing Proverbs 16, verses 21 through 24 that Shilpa just read for us would be a great place to start. You could also meditate on the passages of scripture in the epistles that speak of putting off old ways of speaking and putting on godly speech and remind yourself that because you have god's power at work in you you can put off old ways of speaking brothers ask other brothers and sisters in the church to keep you accountable it's what the church is for to help you grow in holiness and most of all remember the example of your savior it as Peter writes, when he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. And Christ died that we might live to righteousness. Even when he was reviled, insulted, shamed, and mocked. He did not speak sinful words, but trusted in God's perfect justice. And brothers and sisters, so can you. But so don't underestimate your words. They are hard to control. But also don't despair because you have the Spirit of God at work in you. And that is the third reason that you do not to underestimate your words, because your words are hard to control. But fourth and finally, James says, you're not up to underestimate your words because your words are a symptom of a bigger problem. Look with me at verses 9 through 12. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. Well, in in our text for today, James describes the tongue in a number of ways. In, In verse six, he describes it as a world of unrighteousness. He says, it stains the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Verse eight, he says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It doesn't take much detective work to realize that these aren't particularly good descriptions of the tongue and what the tongue does. And it actually isn't until verse 9 that, that James really gives any sort of positive assessment of the tongue. He says that we use it to bless the Lord. But even that positive assessment of what the tongue can do is tempered by the fact that we also use the tongue to curse other people. Well, what are we to make of these descriptions of the tongue that James gives here? Well, I think what we're to make of it is in these last few verses, James is teaching that our words are symptoms of a bigger and deeper problem. And it's the problem of our hearts. In in Matthew 15, Jesus teaches this. Jesus says, what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And this defiles a person. For from the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander, these are the things that defile a person. It is out of the abundance or the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. In other words, the mouth is the conduit of all the unrighteousness of your heart, of all the evil and poison of your heart. It gives voices to the lies of your heart, the slanderous, murderous, and adulterous thoughts of the heart. These come out in gossip, come out in angry words, crude sexual remarks, slander, Your words are a symptom of a bigger problem, the problem of your heart. Uh, It is, friends, it is whatever grips your heart most tightly, whether that is God or whether that is something else that will control your words. Uh, The kid who wants a toy and it is taken from him will scream when it is taken away. The adult who feels what they most value is under threat will curse and complain. Your words reveal the sin of your heart, and your words reveal the idols of your heart. And it's you, and not anyone else, and not anything else who is to blame for your words. And Jesus says that a good tree, in other words, a, a transformed heart, one that desires Jesus above all else, a good tree will produce good fruit, the good fruit of good works, and good, wholesome, encouraging words. Therefore blessing and cursing should not go together. A fig tree can't produce olives. A good tree will produce good fruit. Your words are to give evidence of the transforming work of Jesus Christ in your life. They are to give evidence that your faith is genuine and that you are a doer of the word. True faith is not just simply paying lip service to Jesus by coming on Fridays singing songs and blessing him with your lips on Friday, and then turning out in the other six days of the week, cursing those who are made in the image of God. No, it's to honor him every day. It's to seek to honor him with every word that we say, with every action that we take. But the reality is that we all stumble in many ways, and no man can pay the tongue. Friends, if you are here and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, your unkind and angry words are the alarm bell going off in your sinful heart and about your sinful heart. They are the alarm bell going off telling you that you need Jesus. Don't underestimate your words. They are telling you that you need to be cleansed from your unrighteousness, that you need salvation. Your words bear witness of your unrighteousness and your words bear witness for your need of the cleansing work of the blood of Jesus Christ. But friends, the good news of the gospel is that Christ has come, and the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and you can be cleansed. You can have the power of Christ at work in you to help you put off old ways of speaking. And so I urge you today to confess your own unrighteousness and ask God to cleanse you by the blood of his son, Jesus. Jesus, who died in your place, that you might have his righteousness, and that you might become a child of God. And brothers and sisters, if you are a Christian, for those of you who are Christians, your words reveal your heart as well. But be reminded that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, and that you have the Spirit of God at work in you. And with that thought in mind, I want to, to close with these words of exhortation and encouragement from Uh, A man by the name of Paul Tripp in his book, War of Words. War of Words. Uh, Paul Tripp writes this. Because of the indwelling presence of the Spirit of God, there is hope that the tongue can do the good God has ordained. None of us can say that we are too weak. None of us can blame our past. None of us can blame the people around us. None of us can blame our present situations. Yes. We are living with sinners. Our schedules are busy. Many of us were raised in negative environments, and we have all been given different personalities that help and hinder us in various ways. But this is the point. God has given us His Spirit not in spite of, but because of these realities. The Holy Spirit was given so that we can do the will of God even though we are sinners in a fallen world so that his life and strength would overwhelm all the effects of our own sin and the sin of others against us, so that we can actually do the will of God. His power is not distant and dormant. It is at work within us. We can speak up to God's standard and according to his design because he lives within us with his mighty, active power. All right.